Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Untucked. Today we're talking about a, te- a text message exchange, a client of ours receiving some advice from his son regarding recent market volatility. We talk about how Susie Orman invests her wealth. And then um, finally we wrap up with an article discussing the value in being able to answer a question with I don't know. Enjoy. The opinions discussed on this podcast are our own and do not reflect the opinions or views of FC Advisory, the Financial Coach Group, or the New Wealth Project. Nothing discussed on this podcast should be interpreted as investment advice. Welcome to episode 24 of Untucked. This is Megan. And Mike. And Jeff. So there was a psychological study done that confirmed that when men interact with beautiful women, it makes them stupid. Like they're cognitively impaired. You're going to have to start to uh, reveal your sources for this. For, for your eye. Johan Karamans at the Radbound University in the Netherlands <laughs> conducted the study. I think it's Johan. Yeah, however, Johan, Johan. <laughs> uh, it temporarily causes a decline in cognitive functioning. And when you read the article that I read, I mean, it, it makes sense. Like men get influenced by trying to impress females from like the caveman, like mating, like right angle that they come from (laughs) you read a whole whole article well i get my fact and then i try to fact check it a little bit and and google and there's yeah and i find research and articles that that back it or i wouldn't bring it to our audience (laughs) all right i mean i think that one's hard like (laughs) i don't know what's hard about a psychological study that confirmed it that it actually Beauti- but like beautiful is subjective, right? So like, how do you study something like this? There's nothing subjective about beauty. You're either hot or you're not. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> Isn't that how Facebook started? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hot or not. I think that's what it was called. Okay, cool. Fun fact. Dudes are stupid. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's, that's confirmed. I that's a definite from fun that. fact. <laughs> All right. Um, Philly sports. Yeah, I mean, tons to talk about. Uh, Fanatics' new look. Anybody have an opinion on it? I looked at a side-by-side. What's the difference? Yeah, what's different? It's not even recognizably different. Apparently, his snout is smaller. His belly's smaller. He has blue eyebrows and a blue tail. What I love is I was watching a Flyers game last night, and Gritty... Gritty changed his eyebrow color and his tail color <laughs> to match the fanatics. <laughs> was this something to do with like like a lawsuit? Was it a copyright infringement or something? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i going to like give you my take on it. I've done no fact checking of this. I think that the people that created the fanatic had a copyright or a... Um, Is that the right word? No, it's not the right <laughs> word. They had ownership of it for like 20 years or some some crazy amount of time that time ended okay and then in order for the uh, Phillies to keep it that those people were now selling the rights to the fanatic 
to the Phillies for like some absurd An amount absurd, of money. Okay. Like $25 million. And the Phillies were like, double middle, middle finger. We're not buying it from you. We'll just change him a little bit. Got it. I think that's what happened. Okay. I could be completely wrong, by the way. Okay. Fair enough. Mike's that's okay it. With it. I'm fanatic. <laughs> uh, Philly split yesterday. They had a doubleheader. No, see, we are I'm not talking ready. about. No, we're not. Talking I'm not about ready for baseball to be back on this podcast yet. So we're not doing that. Um, Flyers, anything? Yeah, they're playing well. They won again last night. They're in third place in the division. They're in a really tight race still. It's not going to be easy. Um, but they're playing great. They made a couple of minor trades at the deadline yesterday. Any anybody pay attention to the, the no, trade deadline? I didn't even know it was a, a hockey trade deadline. This is an analogy to the investing world. Oh, here we go. A lot of trades happen. Like it's Monday at three p.m. Let's say the deadline. So the, during the day, there's just a flurry of mostly really minor tweaks, like adding a third, fourth liner. Trades for prospect for prospects or future draft picks. Nothing that is like going to meaningfully change anything, but it's. I think a lot of GMs feel compelled that if they do nothing, they're going to be criticized for not doing their job. Yeah, I, I think okay. you're probably right. So it just reminds me of the investing world where people feel feel like they have to do something or or they're 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 not doing their jobs to justify movement in the portfolio to say I, I'm, we're doing something. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're looking at, we're, we're, we're always looking at it and we made some changes. Like most of these changes are meaningless. How about for our listening public at our old broker dealer, when we were in the broker dealer world in advisory accounts, they required you to make a change, right? If you're charging a percentage of assets, like 1% to manage their account, and you as the advisor feel like nothing has to change in the account for a year, their compliance department required that you place trades, right? Am I? Am yeah, I, it's called yeah. reverse churning. Oh my gosh. There's actually like a, yeah, I mean, it's a term for it. And there's been, there's been, um, I guess, actions brought at certain, against certain institutions for reverse churning, meaning doing nothing but charging a fee for long periods of time. Meanwhile, doing nothing can be the absolute yeah. appropriate approach. Yeah, for sure. It just, I think in that specific compliance world, though, it's there's an alternative type of account that you could have them in, which is a, a transaction-based commission that's more affordable, let's say, or lower cost to the client. That's their whole case. Right. So it's it's a little more, more gray than that. But, okay. But you're right. Um, so activity for activity's sake is is stupid. Yeah, in a lot of different. And that's what I'm saying places, is happening right. in in, uh, in the in the NHL and probably every sport. Do you guys feel like it's worth even just mentioning what's happened in the NHL recently? I mean, I know this is a fully Philly sports section, but the the backup goalie coming in and I watched on Twitter him coming into the dressing room after, and. It was, it was cool. really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, the, the NHL is the only league where every single game there's a guy in the building who's the emergency backup. He's not on the roster. He's not a professional. He's usually like a, a former college goalie or something. And he's there for either team in case both goalies go down. He's the home team's. He's either he plays for either team that needs. No, him. I know, but, but he, he's a home team rep. He's a yeah. home team yeah. rep. Like yeah. he practiced with the home team, maybe. Yes. Okay. And but he's there, eligible for either team, 
And, and there's been a few that have stepped in over the past few years. This is the first guy who actually got the W. <laughs> they scored two quick goals on him, too. But he shut him down the rest of the way, and he got the win. (laughs) And now they're doing, like, he's on, like, talk shows. And his post-game interview was great. Um, He's like like, the Zamboni driver, right? Yeah, maybe a former Zamboni driver. But, um, yeah, I took that part with a grain of salt. You know, I got to say, I read some stuff online, though, that people were being real critical, of course, of – I can't believe with all the money at stake and the play, like a, every game's meaningful that they still have this stupid policy where they have, why don't they just suit up one of the players uh, in that, in that instance and put them in that. Come on. It's awesome. Isn't it? Yeah. Well, there's no way in hell suiting up a player like a left winger is a better option than bringing that guy. hundred percent. Right. Not there's to no mention, way. Yeah. Not to mention if that, that person gets injured. In right. That, you know, right. Right. Uh, yeah, so so for sure, but it's it's just really funny that this sport has has this you know yeah. sort of mechanism to bring a guy off the street to play in a professional I, game. I love it. I lo- I never heard of it. He's forty two years old too. He looked like such a goon too. He was funny though in the in the interview. He was like, yeah, you know, well, Tavares scored on that one. He's, he he kind of like. Put it between my legs along the ice. and Although I was screened, so it wasn't my fault. <laughs> it's really funny. That's great. That's great. Sixers? I got nothing on the Sixers. Yeah. I don't really have much either. Yeah. Um, they beat... Well, the Hawks. They beat the Hawks. Joe had a career high of 49. Ben is out indefinitely with a back issue. So we're just not looking great. <laughs> no. Joe had to have a good game against them because they got their... Asses kicked the last time they played them. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, the Hawks are bad. bad. They have, like, one of the easier schedules going into the end of the season, so hopefully they can, like, kind of limp into the playoffs, get a four or five seed. Hopefully Ben's injuries are not season-ending. He comes back with fresh legs and, you know, kind of pushes them through the playoff. I think that's, like, the best-case scenario at this point. Um other than that, I really don't have anything else to say. I didn't want to watch the Hawks game for like my own mental health. I didn't watch it. I couldn't. <laughs> so I'll be on vacation next week. Um, I will be in Clearwater. So if you guys you want calling me to, in, do you want do you want me to bring <laughs> give a report? Because I'm going to the game on Monday. Sure, we can. Yeah, maybe somehow. Like, yeah, do a podcast with you not here. Somehow. <laughs> figure it out. You'll, All right, Coach's Corner. Yeah, let's do it. So today's discussion, we're going to talk about... So a client of ours called Jeff after receiving a text message from his son. Like last week sometime, we'll we'll say. Yeah. Um, The client's son is in the... Accounting world. Accounting world. We're not sure exactly in what capacity. So the text message exchange went like this. Sell your stocks, buy gold. Signs of weakness are happening. You made money since 2008. Take it. I'm telling you, better to be safe than sorry. Our client then responded, I will call my stockbroker today. When you are in it for the long run, you don't normally pull your stocks every time you're worried about something. Disclaimer. He was wrong about referring to (laughs) Jeff Jeff as a a stockbroker. But (laughs) go ahead. Um, so to which his son then responded, I know that, but you also are old and could lose all the money. I'm just saying everything is super inflated. I pulled almost all my money out and I'm just waiting. 
it just going up for no reason right now, but nothing is happening in China as they are locked down. So nothing makes sense. They won't have good quarters. I can't do this with a straight face. <laughs> but they keep getting more overpriced. So I think once earnings and all that come out, the big players are going to sell and you will lose all your money. That's what I think. He, he, he more or less covered every sort of <laughs> cliche buzzwordy um, mm-hmm. statement that so, you'll find out there with this point of view. I mean, in one text exchange is amazing. For, for clarification purposes as well, our client is 49. Yes. His son is 26. So 26-year-old just said he pulled all of his money out of the market. And told a 49-year-old to he's old. And he should do the same thing. The assumption is that he's not going to live right a long time. What drives me crazy about this with our business is since that text message exchange, the stock market's off 7%. So this kid is sitting there right now justified right. for what the advice he gave his father. And that's all people care about. It's all people remember is that short term. This kid's never going to look back 20 years from now at the advice he gave his dad and realize how bad it was. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because what I'd love to say to our client is, well, when, when's the next entry point, though? If, you're, if your son's telling you, get out now, when is he saying we should get back in? He's going to time that too, right? And what's funny about this is, this is not an isolated event. This is how most of our clients feel and most of the conversations they're having right now with people. Mm-hmm. Like if you think this is just isolated between a 26-year-old sure. and a 49-year-old, you're absolutely wrong. It's happening between husband and wife who are 65, friends who are 70. I mean, it's happening. Yeah, and, and the response by the client was 100% right. He, he mm-hmm. said, when you're in it for the long run, you don't normally pull your stocks and, you know, every time <laughs> you're worried about something. He's right. He should And he should have, at that point, blocked his son from the text exchange, <laughs> in my opinion. What I'm, I'm just blown away by is, is two of the comments. Um, one being, and Mike, maybe you can, you can comment on the first one, and then I'll, I'll give the second one, that all the big players are going to sell. A lot of people feel that way. Like the market is controlled by quote-unquote big players or institutional managers. Can, can you comment? hate to put you on the spot, but can you comment on the falsehood of that at all? I, People think the market moves in certain ways because big investors make big plays or big decisions all at the same time. There's an article actually today, I think in the journal from Jason Zweig, that talked about that, which was that most of the time recently, the smaller investors, the retail investors, whatever you want to call them, have kind of not done anything and that and that maybe they're getting it. Maybe they're understanding that, you know, when you have a long time horizon, you don't react to every little piece of news. Um, and, and the irony is that the bigger institutions and money managers and back to that that point about people who feel like they have to be justified to get paid their fees and taking action they are a lot of times taking action so there is a, i don't want to say that he's right because he's not right in, in the context of what he's saying there but in a sense it is kind of funny that the the so-called big guys big players 
they they've it's been demonstrated that they're more active and they're more reactionary to news than maybe you know the majority of of, of mom and pop or retail investors but his his point here that's really just so off base is that like the big players are going to recognize later what I already know, <laughs> right. which right. is that you know China's shut down and the quarterly earnings are going to be bad. Uh, hey, dude, they're well aware. The only thing that's going to change their behavior is if what's expected now changes. So let me and ask you this: for specifically, if this coronavirus becomes way worse than what everyone thinks it is right now, then sure. Stocks are going to go down and there will be selling, but that will end <laughs> and they will be back. Is, is it documented that I can't, I can't look at you guys with a straight face and keep using the term big players, but <laughs> I'll do it anyway. <laughs> but is it documented that big players make the market move on a day-to-day -day basis? I don't think it's that, that that's, it's not that simple to say it that way. I think it's just that. I think on average, first of all, they control more capital and their activity, I think by definition, yeah, is is more impactful. But they're more they've been and I don't have anything in front of me to give you the evidence, but it's it's been observed that they are more active than retail investors in, in, in general. But that activity may influence a day to day market change, but probably has nothing to do with longer term market change, correct? Yeah, because longer term market change has nothing to do with that and everything to do with how companies and businesses and economies and um, you know how, how prosperous and right. the rates of growth and all that sort of things. Yeah, so yeah, okay. for sure. My, my second beef with that little was, mm -hmm. and you're gonna lose all your money when the mm -hmm. big, like the only, so I, had, I said to the client, so what he's saying there is you're going to lose all of your money. Let me tell you, just as a reminder, what you're invested in and listed the top 15 holdings that are in one of his funds that owns 700 holdings. This, this kid's telling you that all 750 of those companies would literally have to go out of business for right. him to lose his money. It's never going to, it's impossible. It's not going to happen. Here's another thing he said that I'm going to, um, nitpick on he said it's just going up for no reason right now now that's an interesting point because you hear that a lot people say why is the market melting up why does it just keep going up for no reason it's easy to observe when it's going down for a specific reason like right now and that always happens it was brexit it was whatever you can name it you know any event that has taken the market down quickly and significantly there's a specific reason that you can all point to well there is a reason markets go up because companies earn more money or there's an expectation that it's going to be a business friendly uh, atmosphere in, in, right. in a regulatory right. environment or global growth is going to be strong. Like that, there is a reason the markets have gone up since 2008, buddy. Unemployment has no gone reason. down. Yeah. Uh, personal balance sheets have gotten cleaner. People have less debt. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why it's going up and it's not hard to understand. But when you compare it to that, like shock that takes it down, it looks like it's no reason. So, um, this is a goldmine of a text because it has every mm -hmm. kind of objection that you read, you see, you hear from clients, and it's it's frustrating to read it because it's like you, people still don't learn, they don't, right. they don't understand, and and, it's, and and it coming from a twenty six year old, like well, you know, and there's no context relating to the client's 
I mean, in our case, our client's specific situation, his specific plan. I mean, this is blanketed advice with no rhyme or reason of how any of this relates to his father specifically, other than he knows his father is a stock market investor. That's it. That's it. I know you have money in the market, regardless of anything and everything else going on in your life, in your world, get out. And it's just, that's the kind of information that every, like investors are bombarded with every single day. They're bombarded with generic statements about the state of affairs without any specificity until like of how it applies to them. And nobody can keep that perspective that what the S&P 500 is doing on a day-to-day basis does not affect me the same way a diversified investor who owns a shitload of other things than big US companies. You should be required to have a license to disperse advice. <laughs> now, like Everyone gives each other medical advice, even though we're not doctors. We talk about your shoulder right, all the right. time. We've diagnosed yep. everything. Yep. We know how we're handling it. <laughs> but no one realistically is going to act on the medical advice they get from a friend right. or a colleague, right? But people seem to think it's okay to act on investment advice they get from people who are not qualified. It's crazy to me. I think what makes it worse, though, is that he's adjacent you know what right, i mean like right. financial services adjacent so yes. there's some sort of i mean it'd be different if he was a trainer at the gym the thing that the, the theme here that just always gets me is when the big guys realize what i know <laughs> look out below like it's just to have the the lack of self-awareness or understanding that everyone on the planet is observing this collectively and you don't have any special insight, buddy. You can make a bet. You can you can bet on it all you want or disperse your advice, but how dare you act like you're a like you're a fortune teller. I think most people feel that way, you know. Yeah, I guess. And as a quick footnote, when I was talking to the client, I said to him, like, look, if you need money, like if you're buying a house in the next year, I'm on board with your son one hundred percent. And we would have except been except for the gold part. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, except for the freaking gold part. Gold. But I uh, I said we would have we would have been in contact at the end of last year saying, all right, let's take a hundred grand because you're buying that house. Or if you were dying in the next three years, maybe we would do something differently. But none of that is happening. So to your point, Meg, where this kid has no idea externally what's going on with his dad's financial plan to make that kind of advice. And what's crazy is I don't I'm sure this kid has no idea how dangerous what he's dispersing sure. is. Yeah, I'm you know, sure. He thinks he's being helpful, right? Right. We don't think this is like – we, we want to assume, and we probably do, that his intentions are good. He yeah. thinks he's being helpful. It's And luckily his father had the sense to you know yeah. call his stockbroker. <laughs> <laughs> From um, a text message – to Susie Orman. I thought that would be a great Yeah, it's a good segue. Uh, Okay, so this article called How Susie Orman Invests Her Wealth was written by Jane Woolman Rusoff from Think Advisor. Jane shares a handful of questions and answers from an interview with Susie Orman, famed TV show host, author, and podcaster. Uh, If we choose to measure success by money and influence, Susie has, without a doubt, put together a very successful career. However, when it comes to the advice she's offering, we, meaning the three of us and kind of our um, firm's philosophy, there's a lot of of things to disagree on. I found this article, like this interview, cringeworthy. 
That's a good way to describe it. I mean, I read it and I literally stood up and said to Jeff, the Susie Orman <laughs> article is cringeworthy. Um, where do we want to start? I Can I start? Yeah. I, I commend Susie for what she's done. She's killed what it. What she's done has been, though, okay, if you, if you want to, if you want to say, She's had great financial success masquerading as a financial planner slash advisor slash guru. Um, great. But she's just been a marketing machine. A marketing genius. And she's, she's, I mean, she's killed it financially because of that. But I think she's a, she's a fraud. Go ahead. I'll get, I don't, I don't mean to interrupt you, Jack. <laughs> Is that all you were going to say? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, kind of the the marketing genius, the business that the foresight that she had. When you look at what she did, right the 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 views of the world, right that show the view like these daytime television housewife attracting shows. E, we got no, but e for the house no, no, but she as a woman in the financial industry dispersing advice through television i mean that was just genius like the oprah i mean she's the oprah winfrey of finance that was a genius thing to 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 see and maybe she, she probably fell into it and it was just but the fact that she was able to continue to market that with books and tv and i thought it was it's amazing I hate her guts, <laughs> right. but I have to give her like her props on from a financial standpoint, what she did. I think that's fair. I did not disagree much at all to, to, to contrary to you, Meg, with her financial advice that she gave throughout the article. Well, however, really? yeah, the, true to form, giving financial advice to a generic client or someone who she's never met is malpractice. It's it's I bad. think that's mostly what I meant. Not necessarily like the interview advice yeah. questions, yeah. more so her approach in that everyone should do these five things. And it's like that that's doesn't it can't apply to Yeah, that's pretty bad. It's I horrible. Agree. Yeah, I agree. Now there's obviously platforms for it. I mean, we've talked about this stuff a lot. Get rich quick. How do I solve this problem simply? What is this famous person doing to make their lives or body or whatever better? Like people eat this shit up, which is why she's become this massive influence because everyone wants Susie Orman, Dave Ramsey. Like those are household names that offer blanketed financial advice yeah, now to everybody. If you're going to say, listen, if you have three credit cards at 18% and you know, you have cash sitting there earning one, you should be pay- like, okay, that's, that's applicable everywhere. But to sit here and, and, and answer an article and talk about how you, you lend money to small gold mines. And then you have, you know, a hundred or 150 individual, like the specifics of how Susie invests her 50 million, which is what she says that she has in here mm-hmm. is, it's just such a disservice because she should be more responsible to know that if people read, if big Susie fans read this, you know, you never know. They may be going out there and trying to buy some little junior gold miner stock that, you know, is, is absolutely the wrong thing to do. 
I can't stand the bravado about it. Yes. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I just, and I know, again, it's, it's marketing. She, she knows that people love rich people and yeah. they're attracted to it. And that's going to, oh, she's they super, inspire. she's freaking, I almost dropped the F-bomb, ultra wealthy. Like I, I'm, so you're ultra wealthy, like that kind of communication mm -hmm. back and forth. Like Warren Buffett would never say that. He would never act like that. Right. He, I, yeah, it was just it was hard to read. It was I mean, tough to read. There was one section where they were talking about how she herself has a financial advisor, which it's nothing of the kind because she describes her interaction with the guy, and she says, "I'm quoting here. It's good for me to have somebody to talk to every once in a while. He'll bring me an idea, and I'll say either nah, I don't like it, or okay, let's do it, and I'll tell him what to buy. That's your financial advisor, and this is all Susie. All she's doing here is puffing her chest out about how smart she is." Yeah. In, with this little example and it's just disgusting i mean it makes me hate her even more it's it's hard for me to like her i struggle liking her uh and i really don't buy that she's frugal as she says at the end of the article where they obviously do a lot of fishing oh yeah and she's like well you know rather than spending 12 dollars to buy chum by the way no one buys chum unless you're like trying to attract great white sharks. <laughs> but rather than do that, we take the fish we caught and we chum it ourselves. Get the hell out of here. You're not doing that. Yeah, you're and not couponing. Stop. Two right. huge contradictions in here. I'm just going to point out because I can't help myself. Please. She's like, I'm totally, now I'm, I'm invested almost totally in the United States. The majority of my money is still in muni bonds. Though I have a lot of money now in the in the market because it's made considerably more, and then she follows that by saying, two days ago I loaded up on more Chinese stocks." <laughs> like, what Wait, the hell are you, you talking just about? Said and then the other one, where she tells the the interviewer that they have fifty million bucks, and then she starts off by saying, "We lend money to small gold mines at thirty million a clip." Yeah, I'm, I was confused. Okay, Susie, that makes no sense. I'm confused with the numbers. How much cash do you have? Fifty million. Well, is that cash or is, or is she that saying, is that all in? <laughs> I, I think that might be on Think Advisor too. <laughs> True. True. Just but I, I mean, some of, like in the article, some of the actual questions she answered, okay. Like, how do you feel about annuities? Annuities aren't bad. How do you feel about variable annuities? I mean, I've never found one I liked. I mean, that that's actually, they're blanketed advice, but they're not horrible. Um, what do you think about long-term care insurance? I think it's, better i mean her takes on some of those things were pretty good uh, unfortunately it's it's mixed in with a lot of ego and it's mixed in with some other kind of pretty horrible advice yeah and then she mentions a couple of her stock position you know amazon google PayPal, obviously and then she says but i got rid of facebook because i wasn't mad at them <laughs> oh, okay that makes sense <laughs> anyway all right our last article is called I Don't Know by Ramp Capital. Ramp writes about the value in being able to answer a question with I don't know and then describes the great thing about saying I don't know when asked a question in the real world is that it gives you the chance to research the subject and learn something new to take apart something with virgin ears and conscious ignorance. Um, we've talked about this topic a bit before in how intelligent <laughs> it makes you to be able to answer a question with, I don't know, to understanding what you in fact don't know. Yeah. Like, and, and we talked about actually earlier here that the, when it comes to the market and the investing sphere, 
when somebody, a client or anyone asks you, like, what's the market going to do? The right answer is, I don't know. And so few people say that or feel comfortable saying that because they're expected to have the answer. And that's one of the things that is a common theme that we talk about a lot. And then that knowing what you don't know is such an important um, uh, characteristic to have that is, is you can't ever lose sight of. And then the other thing was there was a, a video embedded in this article of a professor, which you, Meg's laughing because I know you didn't enjoy it, but I kind of liked it. I didn't enjoy it either, for the record. I know you wouldn't. I mean, <laughs> no, stuff, you don't know we wouldn't. interests me a little bit. Because you said it's awesome. Stuart you should watch Firestein. it. Stuart Firestein. You were he's a, so, you talked it up. Because I wanted you to watch it. I knew you wouldn't <laughs> unless I talked it up. But he, he's. I mean, it works. He, he gives a little, a little speech to a bunch of students, I think. and Definitely not students. Oh, no? Okay. The, the crowd was. Oh, oh, they yeah. were That's scientists. Like he's a, yeah, yeah, he's a neuro, uh, neuroscientist or something, and um, he, I think he made a couple of really good points about specifically ignorance and um, not ignorance in a bad way, like a negative way, the way the word is used, like you ignorant fool, but ignorance in meaning like the stuff you just don't know, and where everybody's focused on accumulating this body of knowledge and kind of with this goal in mind that we're going to eventually like know everything about something. The more you know about stuff, the less you know about everything or even yeah. that same stuff. So it's like, it's, it's kind of gets a little bit nerdy and deep, but it's really, um, he connected it to the way that we teach in schools and how wrongheaded it is because now with Google and Wikipedia and his quote was great. He goes, this business of education can't be in business to selling facts for a living anymore. Right. Which is so important because that's largely what it is. When you can now look up anything, now you're, you're paying to go to school to, to just memorize facts when they're easily searchable. We should be teaching differently and teaching people to think differently and asking questions and really trying to understand that there isn't this like completion of knowing stuff. I mean, I, I remember there was a quote from like 100 years ago. Somebody famous said, well, We've invented everything that there is to be invented. This is the <laughs> right. end of progress, and we're, we've, we know everything. It was something like that. And it's so utterly ridiculous to hear that now. Yeah. And, and I think keeping that in mind is so important because the, the more stuff that we learn, the more stuff that we don't know, if that makes sense. Yeah, he said he had kind of an epiphany coming out of one of his classes that he teaches in Columbia where he's like, oh, my God, I think these students are looking at me like this book has all the answers to everything we know about science. And it's not black and white. In fact, every question you have creates 10 more questions. questions. Yes. Yeah, which was a really cool point. Like the video is, I encourage you to watch it because what's hysterical about it is the guy tries to make like 17 jokes. <laughs> no one in Very the true. audience laughed. There was a handful of chuckles. The, for a few of them there were, but there were hey, other ones where it was for dead a, For a neuroscientist, give him credit for trying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got I to gotta give him. I mean, I, I didn't hate the video. It was it was a little bit boring, but I liked the idea that he took the the very typical connotation of ignorance, which is that you're stupid um, to be you know stupid about something, and kind of reframed it in the way that ignorance is not necessarily a bad thing, and understanding it in that way allows you to learn more about things and to be open to learning more about things. I think a lot of the I don't know stuff is ego driven and not wanting to 
appear with the person you're having a conversation with appear to be less intelligent than they are. And if we all just agreed that shit, not all of us know everything. No one knows everything about everything. Like it would take a lot of pressure off of people. Yeah. Yeah. It's very applicable in our business because there's so like people pay us as financial planners, as financial advisors. And I think they feel like we should literally know everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, we'll be in a meeting and someone will ask me, what's the max contribution limit for a 401k this year? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. It changes every year. I can't. And I, and that's not something I really need to commit brain power to because I can just Google. Yes. It. Yeah. Um, if you want to ask me, what's the best way to take income from my retirement plan? I got an answer for that. Right. Um, and I, and I kind of learned that early in my career because I did feel I was in meetings and I felt like I should know everything. So sometimes I would give an answer and really not know if it was right or not, and then go back and fact check it and then clarify and learn pretty early on. Just tell them, look, man, I don't know. I'll find out though. And I'll get right back to you because if you think that I should know everything, then you're an idiot. Well, yeah. And I think in the article, the ramp capital article talks about having that bullshit meter where if you're interacting with somebody and they are the know-it-all red flags go up because you should be like, kind of discounting that that person's uh opinion or whatever they're saying because like yeah you're you, you don't know what you're talking about i don't know if you can appreciate that unless you're you're aware of it and in and in a business where you've you've become aware of it because i'm very appreciative of it when i go it's a bad example but if i go to buy a car and i ask someone well does this have does this come with this feature and they say you know i don't know i i, I really appreciate that there are honestly telling me, look, I don't know. I'll go find out and I'll get back to you rather than, cause you can tell, you can tell when they're like answering. You're like, uh, I don't really think you know what the hell you're talking about. It's pretty obvious to me. Did anyone get confirmation on the math question in the article? Oh no, but I can Google it real quick. I asked Siri or I'm sorry. I asked uh, Alexa and she had no answer. Alexa said, I don't know. I she said, I'm it not says 16. I don't think it's 16. I think it's one. It might be new math. That might be the way they're teaching math these right. days. Top five signature foods from chain restaurants. Who wants to start? I can start. Okay. I have six, so I'm quickly trying to eliminate one. Okay. So the biscuit from Roy Rogers is just phenomenal. Again, as a kid, I could have eaten like 12 of them in a sitting. There's only one Roy Rogers left that I know of, so that makes it hard. Um, bonefish, bang, bang, shrimp. They're on my They're list. On my list. <laughs> are they really? No, no. Actually, no. Mine are from uh, Redstone. Okay. Which is technically a chain. Is okay. it? Yeah. There's like three of them. <laughs> um, Nick's roast beef gravy fries. Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> Not on my list. Uh, you guys want to have an opinion. Uh, the schmuffin from Turkey Hill. <laughs> so you can make like egg McMuffin sandwiches. Actually, they're not McMuffin because that's a McDonald's thing. But an egg sandwich on an English muffin made to order. Turkey. Why is it called a schmuffin? I don't know. Oh, I'm sorry. It's not Turkey Hill. It's from Sheets. Oh, not Turkey, so it. it's a okay. schmuffin. Um, and General Sal's from P.F. Chang's. Just that whole dish is just phenomenal. Okay. I don't, I've never eaten at a P.F. Chang's. It's pretty good. I'll go Chick-fil-A sandwich. It's like really? the best chicken sandwich. The standard? Yeah. Number one. Is that grilled or fried? Fried. Okay. 
breaded and mm-hmm. uh, it's good. Yeah, it's, it's delicious with uh, Chick-fil-A sta- sauce. They're, uh, they're Although their Polynesian sauce is really good too. So do you like I'm surprised sam- you didn't say the spicy chicken sandwich from Wendy's. I had one recently and it wasn't as good. And the reason I think it wasn't as good. You weren't hungover? No, no. <laughs> um, I took my son right after a hockey game. We got there when Wendy's opened up. So I got one hot off the press and it wasn't as good. It needed to sit and marinate <laughs> oh, for a little bit. That's not yes. a good sign. Yeah, no, I know it's not. <laughs> okay. So uh, wait, let me quick question on yours. You like the grilled chickens or the the the, the classic chicken sandwich over their um, nuggets like that kids yeah. get? Yeah. Because those are really good too. Okay. That's the roll. It's the yeah. pickles. It's okay. the combination right. of Got everything. Uh, we talked about this. The red lobster cheddar bay biscuits are slamming. Like <laughs> never so good. eaten out of red lobster yeah. in my life. I had bang bang shrimp. Um, in and out, they're animal style fries. I've not hell? had those. What is that? So it's like In and Out has this like secret menu, but everyone knows about it, so it's not a secret. But it's this sauce they put on their fries. It's some form of cheese onions there's like a, a thousand island dressing component wow. they're really good okay. and then the wendy's frosty for me is just that, like so good that almost made my list yeah i got a couple of overlaps the chick-fil-a but the spicy okay. chicken sandwich is one i got bang bang shrimp but um from redstone which is it is a, a chain <laughs> we right think. okay all right um I have Wendy's fries. Are they curly? No, just the regular fry. I like them a lot. Okay. Hmm. More Probably than McDonald's? Probably more than McDonald's, but a really? little bit more. Yep. All right. The other ones I have are a Manhattan bagel, um, sausage, egg, and cheese on a toasted everything bagel. Dude, I want one of them that right now. so good. <laughs> that with a side of mixed gravy fries oh, yeah. is what I want to eat right and now. And then the last one is kind of a weird one, but I love them. Auntie Anne's pretzel. Uh, oh, that's a good one. Plain yeah. or cinnamon sugar? Just plain. They're, yeah. I haven't had one in <laughs> right. years, but they are good. The cinnamon sugar ones. I don't think I've ever had that one. but I feel like you get diabetes as you're eating it. <laughs> like I get sweaty. Yeah, they, they are, are just are. so bad for <laughs> you. But Like what isn't on our list. But, I can't yeah. believe Bang Bang made everybody's list. I thought that was, I, I thought I would have a. An original one. Though. I almost went with the um, the P.F. Chang's Thai lettuce wrap, or the uh, 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 lettuce wraps, chicken, chicken lettuce, lettuce wraps. But are they chicken or eh. beef? I think they're chicken. Yeah. So I had a bad experience with Bang Bang Shrimp recently that I'm trying not to let influence influence your... my decision. I got it. I got them takeout, which is probably just not a good idea. Oh, I like them takeout. Really? Yeah, because you can dip in the sauce. They separate <laughs> it from the sauce, so you can control how much you put on it. Yeah. So like. In salads, I hate an overdressing. Bang bang shrimp give me all the sauce. There's not enough sauce to the amount of shrimp they give you in the takeout. Also, they put it on a bed of like soggy romaine lettuce. Like, hold your lettuce. I don't need it. The breading is falling off the shrimp. Yeah, that I was does very happen. disappointed. Yeah, everything's better in house than Agreed. takeout. Agreed. You should have known better. Okay, thanks for listening. Hey, thanks all for right. tuning in. We're out. <laughs>